Hi, everybody. Good to see you. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads and those of you who have dads. I'm so glad that you're all here hanging out with us today, and it's good to see you. Um, I got to admit, uh, I walked into the building today, and I heard that, <clears throat> that um, Dan Farkas, Romanian gravelly voice, and I'm like, mm, church is back, so... So glad to have him back. So glad to have him back. And at the same time, I am thrilled that we have good friends like Molly and Tim who were able to step in. I just really appreciated what they were able to do. And and so, um, but we're all, the band's back together. So I guess, I don't know. And we're getting ready to step into summer. My goodness, uh, summer came on all of a sudden and with a vengeance. Would you agree? Yes. uh, um, We were up in... Um, Michigan this last week, and on Tuesday we had Oklahoma hot, so we brought it with us, and everyone said, you can take it back with you, and I'm like, well, okay, so we got here, and it's like, oh yeah, it's still pretty hot, so here we go, welcome to summer, welcome to summer, okay, um, by the way, if you're gathered with us online, we're so glad that you are here too, my name is David, I'll be your guide for the next 30 minutes, your Sherpa of scripture, now, funny story, Um, While we were up in Michigan, we were staying with some dear friends of ours, and it so happened that our friend Dave had just gotten back about a month ago from Nepal because he was with a men's group that they didn't climb Everest, but one of the smaller peaks next to it, which like for like the rest of the world is still a really big peak. Does that make sense? And so I, I said to him, I'm like, so you were in Nepal, right? And he said, yeah, we were in Nepal. I said, any chance you got a picture of a Sherpa? <laughs> he says, as a matter of fact, I, I do have one. So I want to show you. The guy on, the, on your left, that's a real Sherpa. I don't know his name, but that's a real Sherpa. The guy on the right, the grizzly featured man, is my friend Dave. He's a real American. He's not a Sherpa. He was very grateful for his Sherpa, though. So I am thrilled that I actually have a picture of a Sherpa. And uh, there he is, and you can see the mountains in the background, and um, it was quite beautiful and quite treacherous, I guess. And my friend Dave said, do you want to do it? I said, no, thank you. No. (laughs) This David does not do heights. Mm -mm, No, I'm not interested in doing that at all. But now you can see what a real Sherpa looks like. So I will remain your Sherpa as scripture of, of scripture and not any other type of Sherpa. So anyway, it is time for us to start our summer series. And last year, um, we were talking about the, the people and events leading up uh, to King David's ascension to the throne. So David the shepherd boy becomes David the warrior, becomes David the bit of a rogue. And then ultimately, uh, we finally got him on the throne, I think sometime last August or so, if I remember correctly. Um, and I like to, to put things into this uh, bigger, broader historical context so that we can actually see the bigger picture, how all these things kind of fit together. And so I thought this summer what we might do is continue on with that story and not look at um, the life of David from the perspective of leading up to the throne, but what did he do as king, if that makes sense. That's kind of where, where we're going with this. And that, that broader perspective, I think, is, um, is important um, because uh, you're able to create that timeline and you're able to see how God has worked over a period of time, and I think that's, that's crucial. Um, And if you want a great summary of Israel's history, I highly suggest that you take a look at Acts chapter 13. 
Um, the way that it's uh, set up is that Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. He's in a place called uh, Pisidian Antioch, and, and he begins to preach this message, and he gives a summary of Israel's history that's excellent um, because it's really done, it's, it's actually the first summary of, of historical Israel from a Christian perspective, at least as far as I can tell. You get a little bit with Peter in Acts chapter 2, but Acts chapter 13 verses 16 to 33, and if you're so inclined, I would suggest you read through it because it really is quite, quite useful. Now, Paul's understanding of, the, Paul's Christian understanding um, is useful here, and, and so what I want to do is I want to look at very specifically the part with David, and that begins with verse 20. And this is Paul speaking uh, out loud to a, a group of listeners. I believe it's at the synagogue, if I remember right. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. Okay? And he goes on. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, this is not necessarily a direct quote from any passage in Scripture, um, but it's, it's, uh, it's Paul's description of David's rise to power, and I think it's really useful. And as you can uh, you can see there are certain names that rise to the surface, ones that we actually covered last year, uh, part of Israel's uh, overall story. And so we started with, of course, Samuel. Now, remember, Samuel, like you said, time of judges until Samuel the prophet. Now, this is really important because, in my view, Samuel occupies this very unique place in history. He is the last of the Old Testament judges, and he's first of the Old Testament prophets in the style of Moses. And, and, and God's very clear to Moses, I will raise up other prophets like you, he says to Moses. And Samuel actually occupies that position, um, I would say structurally, in the life of Israel as a nation, okay? So he's the last judge, but he's also the first of the Old Testament prophets. And in that sense, that dual um, position that he has is quite, quite unique. In fact, the only other person that I can think of in all of Scripture that's even remotely close is John the Baptist. Because Jesus says, of all of the prophets, John the Baptist is the greatest, and so he's the last of the Old Testament prophets, but he's also the first of the New Testament prophets. Do you see? And he has that unique position. I call it that liminal period, the transition from one to another. And we have these two individuals, and both of them were very, very tough people. They were tough-minded, they were fair, and they were absolutely devoted in, in their, um, uh, absolutely committed to their devotion in God. Absolutely, unquestionably, both of those individuals were. So Samuel this, um, is this first character that shows up in the story. Then we hear about Saul, um, the first actual king of Israel. He uh, is described as tall and handsome. He's well-built. And I am 
fairly certain that if I looked deep enough and made enough stuff up that I could convince everybody he had executive style hair too. I just think that he was that kind of guy. He, by, by all measures, looked the part. If, if you wanted to have um, a, a, a beauty contest of kings, this is your guy that you would want up on the stage. Seriously. I mean, he was the guy. <clears throat> Even says that he's like a head taller than everybody else. So he's a pretty tall dude and well built. Saul had a problem, though. He tried to do a lot of stuff on his own. And that got him into trouble several times. But what's really interesting to me, and, and the more I've reflected on this, especially last year during that series, and even now as I think about it, very often Saul would make the right leadership decision. Unequivocally, he's looking at his role as king. He needs to accomplish a certain task, and he'll go about doing it, and he makes decisions that are good leadership decisions. So it's so easy to take Saul and throw him under the bus. It's easy to do that. Oh, Saul didn't do what God wanted to do. Yeah, but the problem is, is that if you are strictly looking at it through a leadership lens, he did make the right call. Often. The problem is he didn't make the right theological call. And those two things overlap. And so sometimes the right leadership decision may conflict with the right theological decision. Does this make sense? So we can't be too harsh on Saul because nine times out of ten, you and I would probably make the same, same choice. Because in the heat of it, you will default to the thing you know. And he knew leadership. And so he would make the right leadership decision, but he got in, into trouble because he didn't do what God had asked him to do in the way that God asked him to do it. That's the other piece of this puzzle. And so Saul loses his authority, but he clung to his position. And eventually, he lost his position and he lost his life, both. So think about that, because your position and your authority can be two very different things. How many times have you been uh, in an organization or in a company where somebody clearly had the position, but everybody went to someone else uh, for the decision-making? Who has the position and who has the authority? Well, in this particular case, we can see that Saul had the position, but he no longer had the authority that he once had. And so Saul loses his favor with God, and so God had to find someone else. And of course, Samuel, the prophet, delivers the news. And here we find it in 1 Samuel 13. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. <laughs> now, let's be honest here. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear it said that way either. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Whew, that's harsh. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now, please understand, this wasn't the first time Saul had done something like this. At least, if I recollect, um, it's, this is either the second or third time that he had made a, a, a leadership decision that was not a great theological decision, and he finally um, got removed. 
And so Samuel de- delivers that news. And of course, the person that the Lord had, had, um, had picked in this place was David. After a lengthy God-led process, Samuel finds David, the shepherd, the poet, and the youngest son of Jesse. And we spent last summer tracking David's rise to the throne. But what's interesting to me, and the more I think about it, is the acquisition of power is one thing. Ruling is something else entirely. And so we're going to now shift kind of our focus from this idea of David coming to power to what does David do with the power um, once he has, has it. And so this summer we're going to learn from David's reign. And we talked about, um, about this last year, but I think it's worth highlighting again. In 1 um, Samuel 13, it's this phrase here that the Lord had sought out a man after his own heart. Now, I know you've heard this before. I know that you heard this last year, and you probably had heard it um, previously. But again, I think that it's worth highlighting uh, one, more, um, one more time. Because there are a number of books written about this idea, being a person after God's heart. There are thousands of sermons about it. And no, I didn't go look it up on SermonCentral.com, but I, I know I've heard many of them. You probably have too. And very often, this idea of being after God's heart, um, it, the, the way it's talked about circles this idea of chasing after God or being spiritual in some way. And it sounds good too, right? I mean, don't you want to be a person after God's own heart? I mean, yeah, when we see that and we're Christians and yeah, we want to be after his own heart too and, and it's kind of the spiritual thing. Now, here's, here's what I, 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 I want to make sure that I say this uh, as a bit of a disclaimer, but more importantly, it puts some context around this. Those books and those sermons are not wrong per se. As far as they go, they're not wrong. Because it really is about being spiritual. It really is about, you know, chasing after the heart of God. We we talk about that all the time um, here, even at Thrive Church. But what I'm suggesting here is it may not go necessarily far enough. And I think that's what's really important. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, And I think, I I know I talked about this before, but I, I I think we need to, I think we need to deal with it again. Just so we understand what we're talking about. There are other ancient Near East cultures, massive ones, with a lot of influence in history. Um, in what is modern-day Turkey, you had the Hittite Empire. It was uh, enormously um, influential in that, in that region of the world. Um, to the southwest, of course, you had Egypt. Egypt uh, had the Nile River, and so they constantly had food and water so in the midst of drought, they became very wealthy and very powerful. So you have Egypt as the other superpower. And then, of course, up near the Tigris-Euphrates River in what is modern-day Iraq, you had the cultures of Mesopotamia. Um, later on, we hear about the Babylonians and Assyrians, but before Israel came, you had, you had Sumer and you had um, Akkadia and you had you know, several others. Just unbelievable civilizations uh, with great deal of culture and a lot of influence over trade and over, over language and, 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 and literature and that sort of thing. And so when you have developed cultures and you have developed language, uh, what happens is, is that the other cultures around you begin to borrow from you. 
they begin to utilize that too. Um, especially if you have systems of accounting or systems of communication. It is not uncommon to find those ideas in other cultures. So things that you would find in Mesopotamia, you would also find very similar things in Egypt. And of course Israel, which is at the crossroads of all of those things if you know your geography. So keep that in mind. So they borrow from each other, and Israel borrowed. And so there are letters out there, especially from Mesopotamia, where kings are um, addressing one of the lords in his court or one of his vassals uh, would be another way of thinking about it. And in that letter, the king says to his, his uh, courtesan, you are a man after my own heart. Those actual words are read in another language that predates Hebrew. Okay? So I don't think that that's a spiritual idea. I think there's something else that's going on. And so the phrase is used very often to describe in ancient Near Eastern cultures a person who is quite simply loyal. It's it's a phrase of loyalty. To say that a person is after your own heart, you are praising them for being loyal. Does this make sense? So while I'm, I'm not going to argue the fact that A man after God's own heart is not spiritual. That's not the entire story. There's more to it than that. There's more history. There's more culture that's involved. It's a a term of endearment for those people who are loyal. God was looking for someone who is loyal. And why not? This is where Saul screwed up. Saul made the right leadership decision, but he didn't make the loyal decision because God asked him to do something in a particular way. It wasn't about accomplishing the task as much as it was how he accomplished the task. Do you see the difference? It feels like we're splitting hairs, but when you're the leader of a country, God's a little more precise, a little more exacting about that, and eventually he needed to find the person who would be loyal to him. And so this puts uh, puts David and Saul, I think, in a whole new light. And so in this series, we're going to look at David as king and Israel as kingdom. And on a deeper level, we're going to also look at Jesus as our king and our assignments in the kingdom of God. So that's why we're calling it king and kingdom. And we're going to watch how uh, how David demonstrates his loyalty to God and the type of loyalty that God wants from from his leaders, from his people. And here's the thing. And this is what captured my attention as I was thinking about this. Loyalty, that word. Have you considered what it means? What does loyalty mean? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, God wanted somebody to loyal, loyal, but what does that actually entail? What does that include? And I think that's an important question that we should um, deal with because I have to confess that I haven't thought about it much either But upon reflection, it seems to me that loyalty these days is in short supply. Have you noticed this? And loyalty to what becomes another um, part of that discussion. So here's a a definition. I like it. Loyalty is an adjective. It's firm and not changing friendship with or support for a person or organization. And I really need to check my spell checker. organization or belief in principle, okay? So think of it this way. It's like 
you know, you're friends with somebody and you're loyal in that friendship. Or you may have a, a belief in something in particular. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you need to vet that person or organization to whom you are loyal. And you probably need to dig a little bit deeper into the principles or beliefs that you have and make sure that your loyalty is not misplaced. Do not get me wrong. I think those are important things. But once you have decided those things, once you have vetted those things and you are comfortable with them, then loyalty is something that happens over a period of time. So consistency over time is a part of loyalty as well. So this is one definition. There's probably others out there. But you have to think in terms of the idea of being faithful. Being faithful to someone or something or some idea over a period of time. Another word would be devoted or maybe dedicated. These are all synonyms that get us to the same you know, general idea. But loyalty is this firm and unchanging notion when it comes to your relationship. And it strikes me ultimately that loyalty is not convenient loyalty is not convenient and it takes work loyalty takes some work to it i think loyalty is a matter of character certainly um commitments that we make again over a period of time I think loyalty is also owning your mistakes and seeking to make amends. I think that's part of loyalty too. <clears throat> it is highly relational. Loyalty, I, I, it, I'm not sure it can, it can actually um, take place. It can, you can't have loyalty without relationship. I don't, I don't know how those two things don't exist. Now, it's one thing to be loyal to your sports team, Right? But it's something else for us to be um, loyal to a person, like a spouse or a friend. That kind of loyalty takes a whole lot more work. And yet, I think that's the loyalty that God is looking for. We're not on the Jesus team. No, we have a relationship with Jesus and we're loyal to him. The other thing that strikes me about loyalty, and I just thought of this this morning, it it hit me. Loyalty in many respects... I want to make sure that I say this right. Loyalty has an element of accountability. If someone is loyal to you, you better work awfully hard to make sure you're worthy of that loyalty. You don't want that person's loyalty misplaced, and vice versa. There's some accountability that if you're loyal, then you're loyal. Now, if you're talking about God, you don't have to keep God accountable for anything. God's per- perfectly good at doing that for himself. And he doesn't, he doesn't need us to do that. But when you are loyal to another person or an organization, there's a certain level of accountability that's there. I've been thinking about that, um, or I'll need to be thinking about that going forward, because I think that's an important aspect of loyalty. It's not just find, um, following blindly. There's a responsibility on the, on the person or organization that's receiving the loyalty as well. <clears throat> now, I want to tell a quick story um, because last week something interesting occurred. We were with our friends, um, my friend Dave and his wife Karen and their son Jonathan, and we were at a restaurant in uh, Grand Haven, Michigan, 
Michigan called the Paisley Pig. If you're ever there, I highly recommend it. It's very good food. And uh, it has robots that actually serve your food to you, which is a little weird, but very cool. Uh, we did have a waitress who took care of most of our needs. Um, her name was Emily. And <coughs> I remember kind of talking with her, and she was uh, a very engaging um, server. You know those kinds that you just instantly sort of like? She was that kind. Um, and uh, all of us at the table kind of commented about it. Two nights later, I was in the shower, and it dawned on me, for whatever reason, that somehow we were supposed to pray for her. And the thought occurred to me that there may have been pain in her body. Now, you know, from time to time at the end of service, uh, the Lord will kind of download these little thoughts or ideas to me. And I'm standing in the shower, and I'm thinking, thinking to myself, we were supposed to pray for her. And I missed it. Now, there's a couple of ways to deal with that. <clears throat> First of all, it's a really good idea to, to pray for that person right away, even if it's late. Better late than never. So I prayed for, for Emily. And I got the sense, though, that the Lord was saying to me not to chastise me for missing the opportunity to pray for her, but rather he was saying, I just want you to know what's possible again. That the people you come in contact with sometimes need prayer, and I want you to pay attention to that. Oh, okay. I can learn how to do that. I'm not going to get it right every time. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is no way that I can prove that Emily had pain in her body and that Emily needed prayer. Maybe it wasn't Emily. Maybe it was another server. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Lord put the thought in my head, and I'm like, okay. Because as a matter of loyalty, I want to say yes to God. And I think from a, as a matter of ministry, what God wants from his people is for us to pay attention to the things that he's trying to tell us in that moment so that we can say yes to him. Does this make sense? And it's one of those moments where, you know, you can feel bad about it and go, oh man, I missed the opportunity. Or rather, what I'm seeing now is God's like, no, 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 that's not the point. The point here is pay attention because you're going to get the opportunity again. All right, let's go. I want to be a part of that. So, there's this element of loyalty that even says, David, pay attention in those moment-by-moment moment types of interactions, those things that might surprise you. Don't go through life blindly, but understand that I want you to be loyal even in those little types of interactions because guess what? There's ministry available there. That was, at least that was the message that I got. At least I think that's what he was saying. Otherwise, that was some really strong, like, hotel soap that I was sniffing or something. I don't know what it was. But I can't prove to anybody that that's what needed to happen. All I know is that in my spirit, that's what I felt like God was saying in that moment. And so um, I think that the other part of loyalty is that sometimes loyalty is risking feeling foolish. Because it's not easy to ask somebody the question like, you know, how do you broach that subject? Hey, do you, have, do 
you got some pain in your body? No? Okay. Anybody on staff got pain? Because then it starts getting a little weird, right? But if God is putting that in your heart, there may be a reason for it, and we just have to, to be loyal to him. And I think that not only is loyalty about risking, you know, that possibility of foolishness, but I think loyalty is also paying attention to a much bigger picture. Paying attention to the kingdom of God, which exists completely outside of just that simple interaction with someone. Now, don't get me wrong. We had a great time with Emily. Emily got a big tip because she was fun. Though there's something to that, but there's something else that the Lord might have been saying, oh, no, no, no. I wanted you to do this too. Okay. But I'm not going to feel bad because that's shame, and I don't think that God shames us. But I do think it's one of those moments where it's a teaching opportunity to say, okay, how can I pay closer attention next time? So now you know, every single time I sit down at a table, one of the first things I'm going to say is, Lord, anything you want to do today? Looking at David's life up to the monarchy, he showed incredible loyalty. And and maybe he showed some loyalty that (laughs) was a bit foolish. I mean, think about it. He showed loyalty to Saul. Time and again, Saul went after him, tried to kill him, and David had opportunity to take Saul's life, but he spared Saul every single time and sent him packing and just saying, hey, leave me alone. I mean, I could have done this, and Saul would feel bad, and he would be ashamed, and a few months later, he'd come back after David again for whatever reason. But after all, Saul was in David's mind the Lord's anointed. He actually called him that. And, and who was David to take anything by force? And in that, I think David was loyal to God. If God anointed David to be king, then God would hand him the crown and throne when the time was right. Think about that. That's loyalty. Because he had opportunity to take it, but the Lord hadn't given it to him. It's a big deal. And here's the question for all of us. Could you be as patient and loyal to both? That's hard. But I think that's the question that bubbles up to the surface here. I remember commenting um, on this last summer, but I think I want to circle back to it. If you want to be known as a person after God's own heart. How can you be that person if you don't, well, if you don't know his heart? In other words, can you truly be loyal to someone you don't know? I think that's why we spend a lot of time up in that upper left quadrant of the, of the, of the matrix there, the little two-by-two two grid, where we spend time in, with the presence of God and we, we actually try to chase the presence because it's only in his presence that we get to understand his heart and it's only then that we can actually be loyal to his heart. You've got to spend some time there. And again, that's not to condemn or shame or make you feel bad or bludgeon you or guilt you. That's not it. I just don't want you to miss out on anything that God has in mind for you. 
I want you to be known as a person after God's heart because you were loyal. You, you were willing to say yes and to feel foolish from time to time. And so as we again enter into the life of Israel's greatest king, this one they call David, I invite you to take one step deeper with God. I don't know what that step is, but I trust that he does. So I want you to take one step deeper with him. And maybe you might want to ask him, Lord, what will you teach me through the life of David this summer? Now look, I know, there's vacations. There's things that are going on. People are going to take time off. There's come and, and come and go. There's ebb and flow to all of this. But the point is, is that we stick with this particular story over the summer so that you have some consistency. When you come back to church, you know we're going to cover something that has to do with the life of David. Unless, of course, something weird happens and I reserve the right to talk about the weirdness in the world. And there seems to be a lot of that these days. But for the most part, we're going to stick with the life of David. But ask him that during this period of time, Lord, what is it that you want to teach me? Um, How can I be more aware of your presence through the life and the story of David? Because remember, David's life is a testimony to the things that God has done. And God's not finished working through his people. It didn't end with David. It didn't end with the disciples. It continues on to this very day. And the other thing that I I think you might want to do, (laughs) kind of predictable here, but if you feel like God is teaching you something or highlighting something for you, you may want to write that one down somewhere. You know, whether you've got a little slip of paper by your bedside or whether you keep a notebook, it doesn't matter to me. But there's something about learning something new and putting a date on it and just saying, okay, Lord, there's something here. Because I'll bet there will be a time later on down the road that you're going to want to refer back to that thing that God taught you or is trying to teach you or make you aware of before it even occurs. That happens. And so I encourage you to do that um, this summer. To, to really consider what it means to be loyal and what it means to be loyal to God. It's not just lip service. There's an action to it. There's a, a heart condition to it. All of those things. I don't know what that means for you, but I think the Lord is calling us to that. And to really understand it, you've got to find some time to be in his presence. Again, don't want to guilt you. Just want to encourage you, invite you to something fun and exciting because there will be moments where you're going to realize that he's going to allow you to be parts of ministry, to be in the kingdom, doing kingdom sorts of stuff, and I don't want you to miss out. Let's pray. God, thank you for the life of David, his loyalty, and the fact that you deemed him as such, and that we too can learn how to be people after your heart, that we can be um, loyal to you, that we can be participants in the ministry that you have in mind. Lord, you are about your kingdom, and we want to be kingdom people. But the kingdom is not just for us. It's ever expansive. And so, Lord, if there are things that you want to do, even though we don't understand them, I just want to declare that you are worthy of our loyalty. You always have been. You are on this day, and you will continue to be worthy of our loyalty even if we don't understand it in the moment. And so for every person who's gathered here, I just pray for them 
that you would speak to them in a way that they would completely understand and that they would feel your invitation and that they would, um, they would want to learn to be loyal, that their uh, hearts would be drawn to you in some way and that you would uh, make them aware of when you're present and when you're active so that they can join you in, in your mission, in your work, in your kingdom um, that you're establishing here on earth that we get to be a part of. I'm excited for that, Lord, and I thank you for all these things. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.